Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hey, everyone. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the Sexy Lifestyle is all about. Dave and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are, and you know we love talking and learning about everything related to sex and sexuality, sexual health, and of course, sexual pleasure. We love diving deep into the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown, and hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because, well, great sex matters. And we all deserve it. I think today we're going to be talking about some naughty and taboo stuff, so stay tuned. So, have you ever questioned whether your sexual behavior is a problem that needs professional help? Is your preoccupation with sex affecting your life or your livelihood and causing feelings of shame, pain, and self-loathing? On today's show, we're going to talk to the author of Carrots, The True Confessions of a Hollywood Sex Addict. It's a book that chronicles the author's lifelong struggles with his desire for alluring women while overcoming crippling shyness, depression, and a powerful sex addiction. Wow. This is going to be very, very interesting. It's going to be a great show. And uh, by the end of the show, you're going to want to buy this book because it is tremendous. All right. But as we do every show, we want to take a minute to tell you about our must-have top waterproof blanket, which now comes in four reversible colors because... Nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot and squirt is hot until it's not. So if you're fed up with sleeping in that wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oil, silicone lubes, and all other sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer, and it comes out looking like brand new. And now we have a new sexy pink and blue reversible blanket, both colors representing the ribbons supporting breast cancer and prostate cancer. And to support the cause, we'll donate $5 from each blanket sold to a charity that helps cancer survivors get back in the sack. Because great sex matters, and cancer survivors deserve it too. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply go to Amazon and search Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket, and order yours today. Great sex starts now. All right, now it's time to get on with the show. You know we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we're excited to welcome today's guest. Dan Harari has worked in the entertainment industry as a publicist for over 40 years and has met many famous stars from the movie, TV, and music industries. He has authored three books, including his most recent, Carrots, The True Confessions of a Hollywood Sex Addict. All righty. Dan, welcome to The Sexy Lifestyle. Thank you for taking time out of your day for being with us here. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very grateful to be here. Yay. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about how you found your way into the Hollywood entertainment industry as a publicist? Sure, sure. Well, it's, it was a very cir- circuitous, I think is the word. It's a very circuitous route. No other human on the planet could replicate my route. Basically, oh, the quick version is I grew up in Asbury Park, New Jersey, the Jersey Shore, and in high school, I had very long hair and I was a drummer and I worked at a concert hall for a rock band all through high school. And Bruce Springsteen happened to be on his way up in life. So I worked with Bruce in 73, long before he was famous. 
And I worked with a lot of very big, very, very big rock bands in high school. Then I went to Boston University and I studied communications. While I was there, Howard Stern was there also. He was two years ahead of me. And after that, I got a job in Manhattan at Columbia Pictures Movie Studio as a junior publicist uh, through a friend. So that exposed me, and I was only 23 at that time, that exposed me to the Hollywood universe and to what a publicist does. But I only worked there for a short time because I was commuting from the Jersey Shore into Manhattan every day, and that was four hours a day on a bus. And after four months, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I asked to be laid off. And then, very fortunately, I had a friend from the East Coast who had just moved to Los Angeles. And she invited me to come visit her. So I said to my father, yeah, I'm going to go visit my friend Joanne in L.A. And he goes, schmuck, move there. He goes, don't just visit, move there. So I said, okay. And my entire life was determined in those eight seconds with my father. <laughs> the rest of my life, was that was it. Because he told me to do it and I loved my father. I'm like, okay. So I moved to L.A. I was 24. I had no job, no money, no car, no connections. I had absolutely none. And I lived on my friend's couch for a year. Wow. During that time, during that time, actually at one time I was down to $6. That's my favorite story. <laughs> I literally had $6 in the world. I had $2 in the bank and four in my wallet. And that's all I had in the world. Anyway, I used to walk through like this movie studios. I would put on a suit and carry a briefcase and walk through the gates of the movie studios and wave to the guards. <laughs> I was penniless. I was almost homeless. And, and the guards would wave at me like, oh, here's a big shot from New York. Yeah. Nobody, nobody in Hollywood wears a three-piece suit. Mm -hmm. So I just stumbled and bubbled. I was, the first year I was here, I sold clothes on Venice Beach. I was a gopher. I used to get coffee for people. I, I had cars, their cars washed. I was a receptionist for a porn, uh, porn company. I was the receptionist for a, hello, swank telefilm. How may I help you? The first, the first year I was here, I just did whatever odd job came along. And in, at the top of 1982, I met the head of the American Film Institute. And she hired me because she also went to Boston University. And she gave me my first job in Hollywood. And thank God for her, because once I had a foothold at, a, at an established Hollywood entity, the AFI, it's, it's very prestigious. It's a film college. And I worked there for a while. Once I had my foot there, foot putting there, that led to all the future, bless you, that led to all the, all the future PR uh, entertainment industry jobs. So that was my base. So I was here about a year and a half struggling and suffering until I got my first real job. Um, yeah. And then after that, I worked at the Playboy Channel as a publicist. I worked for Columbia Pictures Television as a publicist. I worked for the two biggest PR firms in Hollywood for 10 years. I represented Jay Leno when he got The Tonight Show. And then when I turned 40, 26 years ago, I had an epiphany and I started my own PR company, Asbury PR Agency, like Asbury Park, where I'm from. And the universe has been very good to me professionally, not so much with women, 
but professionally, the universe and my karma is pretty good. Uh, I've been I've been running my company now 26 years. I've made millions and millions of dollars. I've spent every dollar, but I've made it. Yeah, so, yeah, that's I've been my good. own boss. For, I've been my own boss for 26 years. I've had hundreds of clients, and um, now I'm 66. I'm still working. I'm looking at the next 10 years to see what I'm going to do, but. I, I enjoy working. So I, I'm, my father couldn't wait to retire. Couldn't wait to retire. He retires. His mind turned to oatmeal, and then he got Alzheimer's. I mean, so I have no rush to retire. So Dan, let me ask you a question. I mean, we've spoken to you a little bit before the show, and we know that you're you have this crippling shyness. How can a shy person like you become this big? supposedly gregarious person in Hollywood talking to people, mingling with the stars, and you have this, this debilitating, debilitating shyness inside you. Well, the shyness that I had really was in the area of girls, girls and women and sex. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't in any other area, David. It was just really with, with the opposite sex. So you were okay going out mingling with people, but when you needed to ask a girl out or see if someone wanted to have a booty call with you, uh, you just couldn't do it. That, that's exactly right. And that's really the premise of carrots. That's where the title even came from. You know, carrots, what's a carrot on a stick for a donkey? Right. Carrot on a stick is this wonderful, alluring thing that you want and you desire and it's literally right there you can see it you can smell it you can almost taste it but it's on a stick and it's right there and the more you walk you think you're going to get closer but it remains at a distance right right carrots is my metaphor for me and girls and women uh, starting in adolescence all right so you know my first 12 13 years i had a million friends i was a plus student uh, my parents loved me i was the oldest everything went great for a long, long time. Once adolescence hit me, 13, 14, I, be, I would look at a girl and go, oh my God, look at that pretty girl. I can't talk to her. She's mm -hmm. way too pretty. I can't talk to her. So my shyness really was in that area of girls and then later women. But school, I always did well. I always had a million friends. I was a rock and roll drummer. We had a following. Um, Professionally, I've always done well with my jobs. So the shyness was a result of undiagnosed depression that I've told you in the past. I get that. And we're, we're going to get into that in a second. But, yeah. you know, for a person who, um, you know, is out in Hollywood, who is shy with women, who really had a successful business career, wh why did you decide to write this book, Carrots, and put everything out there for everyone to read. You could have just stayed, you know, little Dan Harari by himself, this publicist out there. Yeah, you know, we're going to talk about um, all the issues you had sexually and sex addiction, but why did you have to tell the world about it? Well, that's a really great question. Um, I think I, I, wrote the, I wrote the book in 2009 initially when I was in my mid-50s. And at that point in my life, I was finally comfortable with myself and my own sexuality. And I would tell friends stories about bad dates that I was having. 
or bad dates that I had since my divorce. I got divorced in 1992. So that's 30 years. I've been single for 30 years. I've dated more than any 15 other men on the planet <laughs> Earth. Um, so just in my 50s, I felt comfortable to reflect back on my life and my weird history with women. At the time, I was managing a very famous supermodel. And I almost got her a book deal. We came very, very close to a book deal. It fell through at the last minute. But when her book deal fell through, I thought, you know what? Screw her. My story is way more interesting than hers. So why did I write it? I wrote it. I would say I would say I wrote it for self. I would call it self-therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would I say since I, re- since I wrote that book, because a lot of the stories in there, Carol, like have haunted me, you know, since early adolescence and they've haunted me. And after I wrote that book, I sort of pur- I was purging these stories. Mm-hmm. I was getting them out of my memory and my heart and my brain and putting them onto a piece of paper to sort of just say, okay, these things happened. They were very painful. But now if it's in the book and I put the book on my bookshelf, I can distance myself. So I, I think the answer is self-therapy. And I was ready to embrace my painful stories in my mid-50s. Well, cool. that's cool. Like cool. I told you, I read every page, and and actually, it was a it was a page turner. You wanted to know what happened next, and next, and next, and next. And actually, a lot of those stories that you told were very erotic and and sexual and 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 arousing. So I I did. I really enjoyed your book very much. Thank but you. I know Thank you. a lot of our audience is curious about sex addiction, and so was I curious about it when I read your book. That I'm was something that yeah. really intrigued me, yeah. And you know, the first time that I heard about sex addiction was on the sitcom Cheers. You know, it was from a long time ago, I think in the 90s, where Sam Malone was diagnosed with sex addiction near the end of the series, and we all thought that was funny. You know, tell us some of the things that you did during your sex addiction years that it's not just to let us know that it's not all that funny. Okay. I was 25 when I met my wife. She was 20. I was 25. I had only had a few short-term girlfriends before her and a few one-night stands before her. So basically, masturbation was my life from 13 to 25, mostly. That was my sexual expression, was masturbating in private, telling no one, hiding it, feeling shame, feeling embarrassed, never discussing it ever with anyone on the planet Earth, ever, never once, with anyone at all, ever. So 25, I meet this very pretty blonde girl in Santa Monica. I'm, you know, I'm, I have six dollars. <laughs> her, her parents are wealthy. They fed me. They drove me everywhere. Uh, they let me swim in their pool. I'm having sex with their daughter. I'm like, oh, this is unbelievable. You know, I've suffered long enough. And now here's the here's the carrot. You know, I finally got the carrot when I'm 25. Um, we were together 11 years total. A lot of bad things happened, mostly her health. She became very, very ill. The first three years we were together, madly in love. Sex was very nice, warm, sweet, romantic, never hot neurotic and you know naughty at all just warm sweet and romantic on our honeymoon literally the night of our honeymoon she had uh, chronic fatigue syndrome she, and then she was in bed for the next six months so from my honeymoon for the next six months my wife was very very ill 
Meanwhile, I'm working at the Playboy Channel. I'm surrounded by the most beautiful girls in America, literally, for every Monday through Friday. I'm doing shoot, photo shoots with beautiful naked girls for, for years. And then I go home and my wife is deathly sick in bed. And her mother and her grandmother are feeding her soup in bed with an IV drip in her car. So talk about a carrot era. That was a real carrot era. And, and, while, um, and while she was ill, I mean, you, you, you were talking about how you masturbated nonstop from your teens into your 20s till you met your wife. Did you go back to doing that? Or were you even masturbating when you were married because maybe she didn't give you enough uh, sexual um, activity that you, that you needed? Well, once she became ill, I wasn't going to say, hey, you know, I'm horny. She's, you know, green. Literally, she's right, green right. with an IV and her grandmother's feeding her soup. Mm-hmm. So fuck me. Who the fuck am I to be horny? Fuck that. Mm-hmm. I used to go. We had a garage and we had a little shed there in the garage with the lock. And I used to go masturbate in private in the little shed with the lock mm-hmm. in the garage next to the trash dumpster. Mm-hmm. And that was my sex life for many, many, many years. Wow. Because... I'm not going to be a selfish prick and say to my wife, "Hey, you're not. I need a blowjob." That's not going to happen. No, but my que- my qu- my question wasn't, "Did you put the onus on her?" My question was, being a person who just needed to come on a regular basis, what did you right. do? And obviously, you went back to masturbate. Right. I had no choice. Yeah, I had absolutely no choice. Okay, so to get to the sex addiction, we broke up after 11 years together. Her health improved. She took. It's a miracle I have two children. It really is. Now, for my son, we tried and it, to get pregnant. We tried and tried, and it took a while. But years later, for my daughter, this is quite remarkable. I had sex with my wife three times, three times in 1989. Only three times that year. One of those three times was my daughter, mm, wow. who is nice. the joy and gift, joy and gift of my life, mm-hmm. and the reason God put me on earth is my daughter. So my daughter's a miracle child. Okay. So anyway, when we decided to leave, I was 36. Now, we were together 11 years. She said to me, "Dad, you, we're not in love anymore. Let me take the kids." She said, "You need to have sex with women." She goes, "I know you need to have sex with women." You didn't have that much before you met me. Go do it. And when she said that to me, I actually cried. I cried tears of joy and I hugged her and I said, thank you for, thank you very much for this gift. It was a gift. My divorce was a gift. Was It really was. It was a gift. So now I'm 36. My kids and my ex-wife, I see my kids on the weekend. Now my sex drive came back big time. What am I going to do? I'm not married. Um, money was an issue. You know, I wasn't making a lot. Now I had to do child support and alimony. I was making a decent living, but not a, not a really good living. And so from 36, I'm like, I got to get laid, got to get laid. Gotta, how am I going to get laid? Got to get laid. How many come? Got to come. How many to come? That's when the addiction just kicked, just took over. So I had a full-time job, worked my ass off for a PR company. Every weekend I had my children from Friday night to Sunday night. So that left Monday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, every week. And those waking hours of not working and no kids, 
was, how am I going to come? Where am I going to come? Who am I going to come with? How am I going to get laid? How am I going to jerk off? What am I going to look at? Should I go to a strip club? Should I go, uh, watch porn? And that was, and that's when it kicked in. And that lasted for 20 years, 20 straight years. Yes. That's how it started. Right, exactly. So what were some of the things that, describe a little bit about some of that uncontrolled sexual behavior that you had. What, what did out you of do? Control. Yeah, the out of control. Well, again, for me personally, I, I've never really felt very shameful or embarrassed even to talk about sex addiction because, because in the big picture, the universe has not been kind to me with romantic, opposite sex women that I meet, fall in love with and have normal sex. That just has never happened to me in 66 years ever. It's never, ever happened, including the date I had Saturday a few days ago. It just has never happened. So for me, like David said, I need to come. So I had to figure out how am I going to come? How can I be in charge of my own sexuality? I can't depend on a woman for my sexuality. I've never been able to ever. So, the more money I made as I, every year after my divorce, either I got promoted, 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 better job, promoted, promoted my own business. The more money I made during those 20 years, the more money I would spend on call girls coming to my house, call girls coming to a hotel room if I'm in Las Vegas or San Francisco or Miami or wherever I'm at for business. Strip clubs, of course, for lap dances. I discovered phone sex, which to me, still to this day, is probably my biggest turn on. Mm. Phone sex for me is huge. Why? It's theater of the mind. You know, you can say anything. You can be anything. You can ask the woman on the other end of the phone to say or do anything that triggers uh, and turns you on. I have spent tens of thousands of dollars on phone sex easily easily tens of thousands in my life it's it's i i to this day every once in a while not that often but every once in a while i do it and i don't just do it for five ten minutes i'll do it for four hours wow. and it, you know it's like two to three to four dollars a minute so think about four hours a few weeks ago i spent about a thousand dollars on one night on phone sex mm-hmm. um Recently, I discovered video cam girls sex that I just started to do this year. I have a woman in um, in um, Orlando, Florida, who's just beautiful. And she reminds me of a woman I used to have the hots for. So we role play together on the computer. She's, you know, she's like seven dollars a minute, a minute. Now, in Sex Addicts Anonymous, which we'll get to, <clears throat> they they describe being in the bubble. I don't know if you guys have heard that expression, being in the bubble. If you're a sex addict and you're in the bubble, what that means is you lose all track of time. You lose all track of how much money you're spending. You are solely focused on turning yourself on, getting aroused, getting more aroused, higher, higher, higher. And finally coming. So if I'm doing phone sex for four hours, I'm in the bubble for four hours. You know, last time I did my video cam girls, I spent $600 on her. Wow. 
because I lost track of time. $600 to jerk off. That's a very expensive orgasm. Yeah, yeah. As time went on and I made more money and I became more successful, I would spend more money to come. It it was a direct, you know, if it was a graph, it would just be a direct correlation. Mm -hmm. But I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on sex. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. And that's, you know, a lot of guys, men that I were in my SAA group, they're cheating on their wives. They're cheating on their girlfriends. They're jerking off at work and getting um, fired. They're jerking off looking at a neighbor and getting arrested. Mm-hmm. Well, I never, nothing bad ever happened for me, except I was hurting my, my own wallet. Yeah. I was hurting my wallet. If I had the money that I spent on sex in the last 30 years, I'd be, I'd be a millionaire. Too. I'd be wealthy. So, Dan, let me, really, ask, let me ask you a question. I'm going to get back to the shyness thing, and you had mentioned that um, you, know, you had no problem out in the business world, but when it came to your personal life, um, you had an issue with women. Didn't you try over the years to date people who were compatible with you, who might get back into a relationship. I know you unfortunately had a, a poor experience with your wife who, who got very ill. But after that, um, there's there's online dating. You were very um, you know sociable. You went out to different parties and events. Didn't you try and date people you know your age, your, 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 who were compatible with you in terms of age and sexual desire? Yes. Yeah, well, I did. I did. The first thing I did after my divorce was cry for about a week. And then I put an ad. I live in Los Angeles. In those days, the L.A. Times newspaper, once a week, they had a page called Dateline. Mm-hmm. And this is this is you know this is 1992. Right. This precedes the computer age, and you could put a free ad in there, and women would call my there's a phone number, and women would call the number, and then I would call the number, dial in, and I ran a free ad for a year, and I dated out of that ad. Uh, many, many times. But were, get lucky were, were the women people who you could fall in love with? Were they nice? I mean, you're, 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 you're going out dating so many people. There had to have been one or two who maybe could have been there for that uh, long-term relationship. Well, as Carol knows from reading my book, there's a chapter called Really Bad Dates. I met the creatures from the Black Lagoon. I'm ugly fat, weird, smelly, too tall, too short, one eye, you know, <laughs> one hand. I mean, I met the, I met the creatures that should have been in the circus. So, Most of the women I met were creatures from the from circus. Okay, Dan, so I'm going gonna to go back to my question. Now, Carol and I live in the world of we travel, we're out there, we do our podcast, we, we were, you know, we socialize with people. You were a publicist in the world of Hollywood with rock stars, with Jay Leno, you said, with, with all those, those um, celebrities. I'm sure there were parties and places that you went where you were able to meet single women or, or eligible women that you didn't have to meet these monsters through um, the personals in, in the L.A. Times. Okay. That came later. That came later, and I'll tell you, this is why we should talk about my depression. My depression really kicked in from the age of 15, and it went until the age of 40. I had undiagnosed clinical depression. Mm. 
So even, all right, so I got divorced now. I'm 36. I'm still depressed, clinically depressed. I was still shy with women then. But David, to your point, yeah, I, I went to events and things, and I would ask girls out here and there. You know, I had I did the dating uh, thing in the LA Times. I joined It's Just Lunch, which is a dating service. Um, I joined, I don't remember, A Great Expectations, if you remember that one. They used to have folders of women, like, like notebooks of women. You write, you see the one, you write down her number, and you give it to the front desk, and if it's a match, then the woman calls you or something. I did all of those things, but I was not finding women that I was interested in. When I hit 40 and my depression was diagnosed and I got Prozac and I became undepressed, okay? I became undepressed at 40. Well, at 40, that's when I was screwing every woman I met at every party and it changed, it just literally changed overnight for me at 40. But but but, so but but all these women you were screwing, wasn't there one or two who you wanted to have a nice relationship with, to not just fuck them? The one that I was in love with, of course, is in my book. I was 40, she was 30, and she did not get along with my son. So if you have someone you're dating who doesn't get along with one of your two children, right? and resented that I had my kids on the weekend mm-hmm. and would literally once said to me, you pick him or me. She mm-hmm. said to me, to me not the right person. Me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she was someone I was in love with mentally compatible, great sex, attractive, everything I was looking for. Didn't get along with my son. My son has Asperger. So, you know, he was a little difficult to be with. But she, she, she said to me, Dan, I'd marry you tomorrow if you didn't have children. She said, I would marry you tomorrow if I didn't have children. I'm sorry that I had children before yeah. I met you. Yeah, 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 yeah. We get it, we get it, we, we get, get it. it. So, actually, yeah, this is actually a good time for right. a break. We just want to remind everybody that we're Carol and David. This is The Sexy Lifestyle, and we're having a, a wonderful discussion with Dan Harari all about his book, Carrots. Uh, when we come back, we will be talking a little bit more about sex addiction and uh, what that means and how you can get some help from that. But in the meantime, why don't we talk about Topless Travel and the amazing trip, trips that we have planned for next year? Absolutely. And you know um, Topless Travel um, provides the sexiest and most erotic vacations ever. Um, and, you know, you, you just simply have to book with them. We talk about it all the time from Hedonism 2 in Jamaica, Desire in Cancun, and all the Bliss Cruise experiences. Topless travel just absolutely needs to be your number one choice. And their trips and adventures are all about the people and the sexy fun experiences that they have. So let's shout out to their exclusive sexy host couples, including Party Mark, who are there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation. Yeah, and you know, we go on lots of the topless travel trips and listen up. We are going to be back at Hedonism 2 for another sexy silver event from February 25th to March 4th, 2023. We would love that if you join us there and um, listen to this in 2024. Yep. I'm already talking about 2024 topless travel is putting together, not one, but two bucket list trips from which we'll be broadcasting live. Uh, the first one is March 2nd to 13th, 2024, where we'll be exploring, exploring the ancient pyramids of Egypt, followed by a seven day riverboat cruise down the Nile in Jordan. And the second trip 
We're going to be heading to Kenya for an African safari to witness the Great Migration, a little bit like glamping in the wild. From September 2nd to the 11th, 2024. Now, on both these trips, space is super limited. Um, we're sold out at about 70%. So, so if you don't want to miss these amazing adventures with your like-minded friends, then go and book your rooms today. For more information about these trips or any of the topless travel events, go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the topless travel events link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. And also, let's just remind everyone that if you're looking for an online, open-minded community to find compatible people and events in your area, simply join sdc.com and use promo code 30314 for your first month free. All right, let's get back to the show. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carl and David, and now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Oh, well, great sex matters, and we all deserve it. So let's get back to talking a little bit about um, sex addiction, sex addiction anonymous. Um, Carol, yeah. sorry, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So what I I looked it up, sex addict, sex addicts anonymous, S A A, and I saw a quote there, and I just want to read the quote so everyone can hear it, and I want you to comment on how you can relate to this quote. So here's the quote that I found: Before coming to sex addiction anonymous. Many of us never knew that our problem had a name. All we knew was that we couldn't control our sexual behavior. For us, sex was a consuming way of life. Although the details of our stories were different, our problem was the same. We were addicts and addicted to sexual behaviors that we returned to over and over despite the consequences. So Dan, why don't you relate to us how, how this quote does relates it, to you. Yeah. Does it relate to you? Or do you feel at home here at the Sex Addicts Anonymous? The first time I ever went to Sex Addicts Anonymous meeting, I had I had, I had just met a, a new therapist. I had met a sex therapist uh, in my mid-50s. My mid-50s. Because my sister, I had mentioned to my sister-in-law that I had spent a lot of money that week on prostitutes coming to my house. And she said, you need to find a sex therapist. Okay. Now I didn't really know that there was such a thing. You know, this is only about 10, 11, 12 years ago. So I found a sex therapist. I sat down with her the first hour. I told her my story pretty much. She just leaned in. She goes, Dan, so you're a sex addict, huh? Okay. I'm 53 years old. I'm like, really? I, I am. I've been a sex addict since, you know, 13. I, she told me to my face that I was a sex addict. I had no idea. And then she said, you should go to SAA, Sex Addicts Anonymous. You'll find other men and women like you. I said, are you kidding me? There is such a thing. I had never even heard, I'd never even heard of it at all. So the first time I went to an SAA, first of all, I was a nervous wreck. I was literally shaking. And this is way past my shyness. You know, I wasn't shy anymore at all. It's the opposite. It was like Jerry Lewis. Yeah. But, but, all right. So now I'm in a room with 30 men, 30 men, in chairs, in a in inside a church, on a Friday night. One or one or two women, maybe two. Usually there was one black lady that was there. It's all it's all men. And yet they go around the room talking about how their addictions to sex have basically ruined their lives. And I'm sitting there and this guy lost his house. This guy lost his job. This guy in jail, was in jail. 
This guy has a restraining order. He can't see his daughter for the rest of his life. These men are crying. They're sobbing, crying. This guy lost all his money. This guy's wife, uh, you know, threw a knife at him or something, whatever it was. I'm, I'm like, oh, my God. These are real sex addicts whose lives have been destroyed by having to come, by really having to come. So I was thinking, well, for me, you know, I destroyed my bank account, but I didn't hurt another person. I never cheated on my wife. So, you know, I never hurt another person. I didn't get fired from a job. I was never in jail. So anyway, the first time I went was unbelievable experience. And then at the end, they go, are there any new people here? You raise your hand. Would you like to share? Well, I, I, I have probably never been more nervous in my life. I was about as nervous as that then when, as when my, my son was born. The most nervous I ever was. And they said, yeah, okay, Dan, thank you for joining. The, you know, thank you for joining. Who are you and why are you here? And man, I spit out in three minutes, Carol, my entire book, Carrots. Everything that's in Carrots, my book, came out in three minutes. You know, tra childhood traumas. Best friend molested me when I was 12. Um, depression, crippling shyness, asking girls out for dates. My wife's medical illnesses. Um, my sex addiction, call girls, phone sex, strip clubs. There's something called whack shacks out here. They probably exist all over the world. Oh, no, massage parlors. I spent, I spent a few dollars in massage parlors. Wax shacks are really cool because I just think they're great. You can go in, pick one or two incredibly beautiful women wearing lingerie. You can go in a back room and they strip for you while you masturbate right in front of them. There's no glass in between. You can say anything back and forth. It, it, it was about 150 bucks a shot. And oh, I was addicted to that place, man. I went, to, I went to there hundreds of times. So all of this is coming out at SAA. And at the end of that night, People st stood in line to shake my hand and said, Dan, that was one of the most amazing shares we've ever heard. They said, thank you for being here. That's an incredible share, one of the best we've ever heard. I drove home. I was actually elated. I was elated. I remember I was high from having gotten 53 years of repression. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd never spoken to a man about sex. And the fact that I'm talking to David about sex it's huge. You have no idea how big that is for me. It's huge. Uh. Because until I was 53, I never spoke about sex to any of my guy friends, my parents, my, my father, my brothers, my cousins. Never. I never talked about sex. I was too embarrassed about that. So that was huge. So SAA, if you are someone who has trouble corralling your sex urges and they're hurting you emotionally, spiritually, uh, your spouse, your friends, your job, your kids, I strongly recommend at least going to a few SAAs and sharing, get the balls to share, because you'll feel like like 10 tons have come off your shoulders. It's, it was an incredible feeling. Now, I have a question. Is SAA also for people who are addicted to porn, for example? Oh, absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Cool. So it's, 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 yeah, it's anyone who has sort of co compulsive non non acceptable or non healthy behaviors mm -hmm. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And then, oh, there's another thing I could tell you about SAA if you want. Sure. There are three circles. They tell you about three circles in SAA. The inner circle is your most destructive habits, let's say. For me, it was call girls, phone sex, and strip clubs. Because I was spending tens of thousands of dollars a year. The next circle is like watching porn, um, going to the beach with like with binoculars to look at girls in bikinis. You know, it was behaviors that you should really try to stay away from because they're going to lead to your inner circle. And then the outer circle is spending time with your children, ride a bicycle, go to the gym, read a book, take a walk, go out to dinner with friends. That was very helpful to me create the three the three circles and once i did that i realized my inner circle all my, all my money is going to my inner circle yeah. now at this point i have two kids in college i had two kids in college at the same time so i'm supporting two kids in college and trying to have victoria's secret call girls come to my house i couldn't afford all those things so i had to drop that out i had no choice Interesting. Um, interesting. Anyway, I say I, I'm a big fan of SAA. So, how long did you stay there, and then what happened when you left? I went for two years, and I got a lot out of it. It helped me curb my uh, nightly masturbation ritual. I got masturbation down to once a week, which is what I still do now. I only masturbate once a week. It used to be once or twice a day. That's down to once a week. Uh, my inner circle and my middle circle, I'm pretty far away from those items now. I haven't been to a strip club in years. I wouldn't even dream of going now. Um, but after two years, David, what happened was the same guys in the same group every Friday night would have the same problem and the same story and the same troubles and the same crying. And after a while, I was like, I know Bill's story, and I know Joe's story, and I know Steve's story. I know what everyone was going to say because they said the same stories over and over and over. So I said, you know what? I don't need to be here anymore. So I did it for two years. I've not been back. I internalized the mechanism there. I still I still um, act out every so often. Now, if I, if I drink, I'm not an alcoholic, but if I drink, I will go into my horny place, I'll call it. I drink, I'll say, okay, I'm drunk. So now I should take, I think I'll take four Viagra and I'll watch porn and I'll do video cam and I don't fuck my credit card. I'll spend a thousand dollars. So I have to stay away from drinking. Yeah. I really do because drinking for me is the catalyst to spending a thousand dollars on drinking up and I can't can't afford it anymore. Got it. Well, I had noticed in your book too that a lot of your stories of your bad dates started with uh, too much drinking and then sometimes they turned out in a bad way because you either said the wrong thing or something weird came out or whatever. I had noticed that there was a little bit of correlation between your drinking and the bad dates as well. I think, well, a lot of those women were very attractive, Carol, and and I would drink because... Liquid not courage. That I, not so much that I, that's so much that I was nervous, but I wanted to become, because they were so attractive, I wanted to, I, 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 yeah, it, alcohol usually backfired on me, is, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I would suddenly, I would, uh, you know, I would ask them, you know, what color is your lingerie? I mean, I, I would do just stupid, stupid things. 
a lot of that was self-sabotage yeah. in retrospect. Yeah. I ruined, I ruined a lot of dates being drunk. Mm-hmm. All right. So, women that liked me, I think. Um, all right. So let's remind everyone we're talking with Dan Harari. He's the author of the book, Carrots, True Confessions of a Hollywood Sex Addict. And uh, Carol and Dan were just getting into talking a little bit about what was in the book and some of the chapters. Dan, um, you know, tell us a little bit. Um, uh, we'll talk a little bit now about the book. And I guess um, the book started when you had um, your first sexual encounter around, around age 21. I guess what I want to know is I, I had my first sexual encounter really young um, growing up. You know, you see a girl, you want to put your cock in their pussy. Why did it take you so long till 21 to be, to play with a girl? Well, the book starts with with the book starts with my early childhood, just to clarify that, because I had a series of traumas with little neighborhood girls starting from the age of four, David. So the book starts with early traumas. Plus, right after I was born, my mother had a nervous breakdown. I went into a nut house. So my experiences with women from birth, from birth, were not good. Hmm. That's that. Anyway, um, the first time I came near a pussy to have sex, I was 19. And I was with this girl and we went to a barbecue and I drank so much beer and smoked so much pot that at that night when we went home to have sex at her house and keep in mind, her parents were in the next room. I couldn't get hard. I absolutely, I just absolutely could not get hard. She's like, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me. Her father is literally upstairs above our room because I had met him. I'd never used a condom. I had a condom. I didn't even know how to use it. So I'm drunk. I'm stoned. This girl's fuck me, fuck me. Her father's in upstairs. I took the condom out, and this is funny. I unraveled it. I think the chapter's called The Unraveled Condom. I unraveled it out and then tried to put it on my limp dick. It doesn't work that way. No, I, have, I, have enough, I have enough trouble putting the rubber on. If I'm hard, I can do that. But limp? And this girl's going, why can't you fuck me? Why can't you fuck me? Are you a virgin? Are you a virgin? Okay. So there was no getting hard. There was not, no way that was going to happen. Then, just as I'm almost, almost starting to get hard, we hear footsteps coming down the stairs and her father's coming down the stairs. She looks at me. She goes, oh, my God, my father will kill both of us. Will kill both of us. Grabbed all the clothes, ran into her bedroom, and pushed me out her, her window. <laughs> pushed me out her window. So you talk, why didn't I get laid? Okay, that's why. That's number one. Okay. But the real answer is crippling shyness. Mm -hmm. There was a girl in high school when I was 18. I had long hair. I was a drummer. She was infatuated with me. And she was beautiful and she had big boobs. And I was so intimidated by her big boobs. And she waited for me for like two years. And I never even kissed her. Wow. Because in my mind, I'm like, Cheryl's boobs are so big. Why would she want to be with me? Why would she, you know, who am I? Why would she want to be with me? I had the worst self-esteem in the world. So I would jerk off looking at Playboy magazine. To me, Playboy magazines were sex all through high school. That, that's what sex was. And real girls who wanted to be with me, I couldn't make the, I had fantasy and I had real girls and I couldn't jump over it was what, very hard. To what was your infatuation with these like Playboy models, these um, celebrities, these uh, Victoria's Secret models 
that really were, we'll call them untouchables or unattainables versus, you know, that average, average girl. girl next door? What's the, what's the infatuation? Well, I've, had, well, I've been with plenty of girls next door. I've had, I've had quite a few girlfriends since my divorce. None of them were, none of them were, some of them were nice looking. None of them was a beauty queen. Um, my infatuation very simply goes back to Playboy magazine. From 13 to, to 19, I used to steal them. I used to ride my bike after school once a month, put a magazine under my jacket, ride my bike home. And then I'd be shaking because like, these are my new girlfriends. Mm -hmm. So when my parents and my brothers were sleeping at 2, 3 in the morning, I would lay them all out, the pictures on my floor in my bedroom. And I would just look and masturbate and go, look at all these beautiful girls. They're so beautiful. I was so elevated and excited so then later in life when real girls who are you know a four or three or four or five and the, and i'm used to coming for girls who are tens or twelves in magazines i'm telling you it was i did myself a real disservice with that it was a real real disconnect you know you and know we, you we talk we talk so often about that issue with people who watch porn and you know, porn has a place in sexuality, which is entertainment. Um, porn is not where you learn how to have sex. Porn is something you use to open up discussion. But, you know, I I'm getting here that you believe the world of dating was these beautiful models. And this is what made you come and made you turned on. Whereas, you know, in the real world, that doesn't happen. And the same way in porn, you know, where a guy keeps an erection for five hours and shoots eight gallons of cum and the woman's squirting uh, like a fire hose. It's it's a turn on when you watch it visually, especially for a guy. But, you know, when you're with a woman, you, you know it's not true. And, and I, as a guy, I know I can't keep an erection for five hours at a time and put her on my shoulders and lick her pussy while she's hanging from the ceiling. So... I'm getting from you that you grew up with this um, surreal or unreal of, um, view of what the perfect woman should be for you to, to have sex with. Exactly right. And that goes back to carrots. You know, a, a carrot is a, is a desirable object, or in my case, a desirable woman that's there. And it, within your universe, you know, you could see her, you could smell her, you know, you could even touch her but you can't have her. And, you know, the models that I've chased after and the very attractive Hollywood actresses that I've chased after, uh, you know, I've come close here and there a few times to having sex with some of them. But, um, you know, when I was younger, my mother wanted me to date her, her best friend's daughter. She was, go out with Marilyn. She's the nice Jewish girl. She, Marilyn was fat. You know, now could I have had sex? Of course. You know, 16, 17, 18. Marilyn was fat. Uh, there's just no way. I so fucking conditioned myself. Mm -hmm. With to those blonde, with yeah. Big yeah. Yeah. With blonde. And then when I knew Carol, then I knew these girls in real life. In the 80s, I'm married to a sick woman. I'm hanging with these yeah. girls in real life. Yeah. And they're and real. Fact, they become two, real. And two of them, two of Kim Allen and Linda Weisman, two of them, they're in my book, the picture. They actually came on to me. They actually came on to me. And of course, I'd just gotten fucking married. Yeah. <laughs> and I promised myself, no matter what, I will not cheat on my wife. So I'm married to a very ill woman, and there's two perfect Playboy models. I'm throwing at them, and I'm like, talk about carrots. 
Now, now, no, Dan, no one, you Dan, can't, you you can't ta- be that story for carrot. You know? <laughs> right. Dan, you talked about seeing a sex therapist. Did you ever work with a sexologist or a sex therapist to help you grasp the, uh, I guess, the unrealness of your your infatuation with all these beautiful models? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, all yeah, this has all been discussed. I understand it. Um, I didn't. I didn't really understand it in its day. Um, I, I, I just, you know, I've always known there's a, for me, there's a fantasy track with sex, fantasy sex, and then there's real sex. Um, 10 years ago, I had a girlfriend named Barbara, not particularly attractive. We had sex a few times. She would say, why do you, why do you throw me around the bed? Like I'm a porn star. She goes, do you watch a lot of porn? I go, yeah, I've seen porn. She goes, why can't you just make love to me and cuddle with me? And I'm thinking, well, I'm not attracted to you, number one. <laughs> number two, porn sex turns me on. So uh, we only had sex maybe five times. And then we both looked at each other and said, no, no let's not do this anyway. It, it, was, it was incompatible. We were just completely incompatible. Sexually, every other way, she was great. My parents told me to marry her. My ex-wife told me to marry her. But she was such a nice person. I was not attracted to her. I could only fuck her if I'm spinning and twirling with dildos and vibrators and watching porn with lube everywhere. And she was completely turned off by that. So uh, I've just, I've, I'm the king of disconnect. Huh. And I just, no one's had more disconnect between fantasy and real life than me. Mm-hmm. I'm the champion. Very, very interesting. Now, you know, we're coming up to the end of the show, and I hope everybody's realized that we haven't gotten into Dan's super erotic, storytelling that he tells in his book because we, we want you to read the book and, and it's really really like Carol says a page turner but Dan we're going to give you a chance here to tell just two of your favorite sex, sex stories um, the ones that, that you'll never forget to give people a little bit of food for fodder to go out and read the book <laughs> okay well the first girl I ever had sex with I was 21 and a senior in college she was a very attractive blonde I had met New Year's Eve at a nightclub and she lived in New Jersey. I was in Boston for college, and she would come up on weekends to see me. The very first time I ever got laid in my entire life was a Friday the 13th, to keep that in mind, because <laughs> what other date would it have been? It was a Friday the 13th. We fucked nine times in 12 hours. Wow. Nine times in 12 hours. It was Herculean. And at the, now she was, I was 21, she was 20. At the next morning, she said at breakfast, she said, wow, she goes, you're such a great lover. She goes, I never knew sex like that was possible. I said to her, Kim, you're not going to believe me. That's the first time I ever had sex in my life. She went pale. She goes, are you serious? She goes, you're like a champion. And then my funny answer was, yeah, well, I've had a lot of, practice with myself <laughs> yeah yeah okay. of course nine times in 12 hours i've never matched that i've never <laughs> beat that us either think about none. in fact my penis was sore for a couple of days i'm and sure i can imagine i can surely that's imagine. a true that is a true story that's <laughs> a true story the most recent amazing story was in 2012 i had two women one was a former Playboy model, and her best friend is a hairdresser. 
Now, the two women also charge money to guys for sex here and there. They're not, they're, they're not really call girls, but they'd like to be paid for sex. So it's, it's like a fine line. So I was having sex with this one, Tony, blonde Playboy model for several years, and she was fun. One day she introduced me to her redhead friend, Wendy, who I was super attracted to. Wendy was great and wild and amazing. And then one day the two of them came to my house together with a third friend whose name now I can't remember. So, and the three of them said, all we want to do tonight is just fucking suck. So I had a blonde Playboy model, a brunette, who is actually related to a famous comedian. And a redhead. And me. And I had three women in my bed. They're all tense. I'm standing in my bed, looking at them on the bed. And I'm I'm saying to myself, record this. this, You'll never have a better night. This was Disneyland for adults. It was the greatest night I ever had in my life, other than with my children. It was so much fun. I could not believe it. I'm fucking and sucking, and this one's sucking and fucking, and they're doing each other. And it went on for hours, and it was at the, the next morning. I said, "Well, I guess I, I guess you I can retire." Now. That's right. I, I, I finally, I finally got, I finally did it. Yeah. I didn't know that was the goal in life until I achieved it. But I could hang up my balls. The, well, I really enjoyed the, reading that story as well, and it's in, it's in there in full detail. Actually, I'll, I'll pull out the book and I'll read that section to, to David later. Now that you've mentioned it, he's okay. gonna, yeah, he's my, gonna enjoy the story as well. My birthday's coming up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, So listen, Dan, we are coming to the end of the show, and it's been super, super, super interesting. But what would you say would be the top two reasons why someone should seek professional help if they're experiencing some out-of-control sexual behaviors? Okay, well, I made some notes. Um, if, If your behaviors are causing you shame or guilt... Or, or affecting your self-esteem or affecting how you feel about yourself, you really should try to find a therapist or go to an SAA meeting. And it's not easy to spill your guts to strangers. I, I really thought I, I, I thought I was going to faint. The first time I did it, I almost thought I was going to faint. It was so traumatizing. But once I did it, I felt elated. So if you have self-damage that you're doing, you really should find someone to talk to. And then in addition, the second reason is, are you cheating on your husband or your wife? You know, Uh, do you have herpes or or an STD and you're not telling people about that? You know, there's lots of stories about that. Guys in in, in here, they would say in SAA, they'd say, yeah, you know, I was fucking this, this, this girl. And then, and then she tells me she had uh, syphilis and she never even told me during when we were together. So are you damaging someone else? Are you damaging your physical body? Are you not spending enough time with your children? Are you spending too much money like me? You know, I damaged my bank account. So if you're really doing damage to your inner self or your external self, those two things, you, you need to find someone to at least talk to, share, and you'll find a lot of that goes away. A lot of that goes away and for me, it helped calm me. It helped calm me down. It really did. Wow. wow. Very good. Wow. Excellent. That, Excellent. A work. great Advice. way to end an amazing show. Very informative. Um, we learn on all our shows. Uh, we've been talking with Dan Harari. Uh, Dan, uh, thanks so much for sharing all that great information. Why don't you once again remind everyone the name of your book and where they can get it uh, or even reach out to you? 
Sure. Okay. So it's carrots, like a carrot on a stick, carrots, true confessions of a Hollywood sex addict. That's the name of the book. It's from Bear Manor Media out of Florida. It's not self-published. It's a real publishing company. Uh, of course, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's on Walmart. It's on Target. Amazon, of course, is where people get books these days. And to reach me, my website is called danhariauthor.com. Danhariauthor.com. Perfect. And of course, perfect. And of course, if you missed any of that information, you can go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests has their own guest page with all of their information. And you can even contact them there if you have any questions about their work. Absolutely. And like we did today, we are learning more and more every week from all our amazing guests. We hope you do too. If you have any questions at all, you can always send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. Alrighty, the end of another great show with a very, very interesting guest. Dan Harari, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, guys. That was really, I would say it was fun, but it was a little a little painful, a little traumatic. But once I learned to embrace the truth, that, that's really what's important. And I greatly appreciate that you're open to my truth. Our pleasure, our pleasure. And like we do every week, we want to thank all our listeners for being there week in and week out. Join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health and pleasure, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. Well, that's it for our show today. Carol and I send you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever.